We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. The difference now, a Freddie Galvis opposite field home run in the eighth inning. Caratini hits a ground ball to the right side. This is going to end the game as Galvis throws out Caratini. And the Reds hold on to win game one of the series by a score of six to five. I can really just speak for myself on that, that I feel like I'm not pitching to my abilities right now. So I need to focus on myself there and what I'm doing. But in general, I mean, we're putting up a good fight. Still putting together great at-bats up there. Um, Just some balls not finding holes. Um, And then, like, myself not just just giving us no chance to win there tonight. So, so yeah, it's just kind of can't put it all together right now. But... Those guys out there uh, played great defense tonight. You know, that's going to be a big focus going forward. And again, the at-bats, the at-bats are there. So we just got to stick with the work, what we're doing. Uh, for me, I just got to get back to focusing on on getting better myself. That's Kyle Hendricks talking about the Cubs not playing their best ball right now. The losers of six of their last 10 and yet still comfortably in first place in the National League Central. By three games, and you heard the highlight, courtesy of 670, the score. I love that place. Uh, Layla Rahimi is in for Bruce Levine on Inside the Clubhouse this morning with me, Matt Spiegel. It's, um, it's, a very, it's a very weird thing to see the Cubs still comfortably there in first place when you know, as you've been watching, that they sure seem to be coming back down to the pack. A run differential of plus two for the Cubs, so barely positive. Meanwhile, the Dodgers at plus 82, just absolutely ridiculous. And in the American League, the Indians are at a plus 44, the second best run differential in the American League. You're tied for first place Chicago White Sox at a plus 42. So, yeah, the the Cubs, um, Cubs not playing their best. And it's a weird thing to try and figure out with this offense, isn't it, Layla? Yeah, it, it's really something that I think a lot of CMEDs have, have dove into, dived into. I always get that tense confused. Me too. But you know what, you know what I'm trying to say. And uh, I think you and I probably both read the Sahada Sharma article earlier this week in The Athletic talking about the Cubs and their pitches per plate appearance. And it's something that I had mentioned earlier this week because it doesn't make a lot of sense mm-hmm. by conventional knowledge. I don't, I don't know how you work a count and then have the same issue happen where you're just not swinging at the right point in it or at the right point in the at-bat. It's fascinating to me. And we mentioned perhaps the opposite of that when it comes to Luis Robert just swinging away right now, but he's trying to find himself as a hitter. On the Cubs side, this is a veteran group who knows their scouting reports. They know the pitchers they're going to face. They follow their data, as we have talked about so many times for so many years. And yet we're still sitting here 
watching a little bit of that situation happen offensively. But you know what's funny, Speaks, is you mentioned that run differential, by the way. And that's yeah. something that I've been keeping an eye on just for kicks for the last few years. And it was also razor thin in the NL Central last year. Mm-hmm. If you it, remember it, that. Yeah, like the, the, the team, yeah, for all of them. Right. In fact, I think the Brewers had a negative run differential at one point, and they were first in the division while that happened. Yeah, it's um, I, I, I'm calling that up right now as we speak. And um, last year in the National League Central, the Brewers ended up with a plus three. Cardinals were a plus 102 and the Cubs a plus 97. But you're right, the Brewers at a plus three. But that was the lowest run differential of any of the league leaders was um, was was the Cardinals. Uh, yeah, I remember that being pretty significant, and yet it didn't make a whole lot of sense when it came to how that how that division shook out. But as a whole, it spoke to the uh, it spoke to the fabric of that division and the makeup of it last year. Yeah, and I, mean, I think I think that's weird. Well, well, I think but I think that's spot on. Is that the division is just so so you know so so balanced, and it was even more balanced last year. Um, well, with the Reds too, it's really that top four. Last year, the Pirates were a minus one fifty three. The Reds were only a minus ten, so just thirteen runs separated uh, from the Brewers. So now you're right when it terms to in terms of speaking to the division, but it's that pitches per plate appearance thing is so funky. I remember hit and run two weeks ago, Layla, on a Sunday morning, and I'll be here with you tomorrow uh, morning again for hit and run. Just just lambasting the White Sox for a brutal doubleheader against the Cardinals, how they did not grind at bats, how they just, yeah. you know, just went for these incredibly short at bats. And they looked like the team that hadn't played in 17 days. They looked like the team that took 41 rental cars up to Chicago, you know, um, and, and and instead they then explode over the course of the following week. And they're still that team. That doesn't take a lot of pitches per plate appearance. But as long as they hit it, it can be fine. You know, as long as you have a couple of guys do that, it it, it can work out just fine. It's it's just it, it, it depends on who your style is. Be you. And I, I guess I guess the thing is, in this weird ass game of baseball, you keep making these adjustments back and forth. You know, pitchers will figure you out. And if you're that team that, oh, these guys are just going to grind, just going to grind, well, then they'll just go after you and they'll catch you looking a lot. Well, and it's funny because you bring up the Reds. And I said this when the Reds were playoff contenders years ago. They're always one or two players away, it seems like, from really making that push. And they were the victims of an outstanding Central Division race for the better part of the first half of this decade. This last decade, I should say. But, mm-hmm. like, think about this, for example. You mentioned Eugenio Suarez, and we all know he's a threat. But how about the fact that Sonny Gray is in the top 10 in baseball in ERA, and that's not something that we bring up very often at a buck 94? There's pitching talent there, too. Trevor Bauer is starting today. So, the tightness of that division in the Central, we knew it was going to remind us of shades of 2015, 2016 and the race that developed, but we're, we might be starting to see that now a little bit. And credit to Yasmani Grandal, again, what he said in that post-game interview with, with Stoney and with Benetti, in that he's seeing a team come together right now, a young team, and those at-bats are progressing and the lineup is protecting each other. And I think we're seeing a little bit of that pay off in this last week, too. Perhaps that Cardinals series, and also when Dallas Keuchel called out the team against the Detroit Tigers previously, mm-hmm. 
were mm-hmm. wake-up calls. Uh, absolutely. <clears throat> you go out you go out and you get veterans to bring those kind of things, as well as going out to get veterans who have long good at-bats, like Grandal and sometimes Encarnacion as well. A flurry of White Sox moves yesterday, including the trade acquisition of Jared Dyson, a really, really fast Really efficient base stealer, very good defensive outfielder. And that trade was interesting to me, uh, as all trades are going to be here at the deadline, Layla, the, the finances of it. As we live in a state of fanlessness, uh, there is n- no income truly coming in. So it's about financial willingness. And frankly, the White Sox willingness to pick up the $330,000 of actual salary for Jared Dyson's contract and to trade away the $243,000 of theoretical international signing slot spending money to the Pittsburgh Pirates, um, it really more the 330 than anything, that expenditure was more than I thought they might even be willing to do in a year like this, where they don't, I mean, hell, you make the postseason and you don't have, you don't have, uh, you know, big games and big gates waiting for you to uh, put some money back in the coffers. That's not happening, even if you make the postseason. So, you know, the White Sox make that move. Do you think they're done? Do you think they're done? Or if not, what are they going to do? Starting pitcher? Uh, I do not. I do not think they're done, and I don't know why. I wish I had a scientific answer for you, but I just, I don't get the feeling they're done. And we haven't heard from Rick Hahn in about a week. Not that that necessarily matters. We usually hear about trades from the national reporters. But when the White Sox are on this upward swing the way they are and they're trying to keep their prospect capital and they're trying to keep the real talent home, you tend to think that they're going to make some other move. Starting pitching would be the immediate thought there. But Mm -hmm. if Reynaldo Lopez continues to improve, and I know given the last couple of seasons, that's a big if. So we have to see how that progresses. But theoretically, and this is a big day for Dylan Cease, too. You want to see what he does on the Hill today for sure. But they might say one more starter puts them not just squarely in the playoffs, but then moving forward in the playoffs to a certain extent. And I don't know about you, Speaks, but I feel like when it comes to rebuilds and it comes to teams who you know are putting something together, the best teams are always just a year ahead of schedule when it comes to the playoff situation. Or they're just a year ahead as far as progressing. And I know Rick Renteria talked about it in the beginning of the year, and Mm -hmm. that was the expectation. But could they go even a little bit farther than they thought? Yeah, well, this is is the bonus year in, in that way, where anything feels like gravy. But the opportunity to add to a team that is so clearly this good this fun and probably this close to being to being right up there with the with the best contenders is is a very appetizing one and and I know Rick kind of downplayed it but the kind of move that they would make for a starting pitcher would not be a pure rental because it just doesn't it just doesn't make sense unless you just want to spend very little prospect capital to get it done but it, it just it, to me it doesn't make sense to add somebody for what four starts uh, yeah. at this point yeah. five starts but to add somebody who's under contract in the future you know whether that is is it Lance Lynn who's under contract for less than 10 million dollars next year which in the going rate is very very little you could save that by turning by declining the option on on Encarnacion moving Eloy Jimenez to DH and then moving that money over for a guy like Lance Lynn so what does it take to get him? The, the willingness to add money, 
it means that you have to give up less in prospect capital. So maybe this is an opportunity for the White Sox to pounce on a guy like Lynn or, or somebody else who's not a pure rental. Maybe it's Nate Eovaldi, who's owed $17 million in 2021 and 2022. But if you're going to do that, the Red Sox have shown a willingness to send some money away, as they just did with their relievers to Philly. You know what I mean? In order to make some of this happen. So at, right now, it's a buyer's market, especially if you're willing to take on a little money. It is a massive buyer's market. So opportunity might be there for the White Sox to add a starting pitcher who is under control beyond this year. Yeah, I will say this about Lynn, and I've been pleasantly surprised with how he's performed for the Rangers this season and last. But at some point, don't you think that he's not going to be that guy just because of age and and years on the arm and all of that? I wonder who he's going to be for that next season like you talk about. And then when it comes to Yovaldi, we both know that the Red Sox are still trying to very much re-up that farm system because that, that is why they ended up changing speeds the way they did. So mm-hmm. do you think at some point they say, oh, no, 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 we know what you need. We're going to ask for this and this in return. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But maybe the Sox are deep enough that they can give up a couple arms, you know, or because, look, if you're going to keep Renato Lopez and keep Dylan Cease, or maybe you make a decision and give up one of those guys as part of it. Maybe Renato is part of your package for an A.D. Evaldi or, or a Lance Lynn, and you slot that guy in for the rest of the way. Um, in terms of the Cubs, they need a lefty for the bullpen. They only have one. It's Kyle Ryan, and he's the only one they trust, but he's been inconsistent. Gave up a homer last night. In fact, shades of Brian Dunsing, great for a year, and then, oof, it's just, it's just tricky. Brad Wick had the heart issue, then velocity troubles. Rex Brothers has never been as good as the stuff should indicate. So they need a lefty, and they need somebody who can hit left-handers. Did you see the rumor about Cameron Mabin from the Tigers going to the Cubs, possibly here at the deadline? Well, that is very interesting. Maven is loved in every clubhouse he is in. Uh, you know, he's he was certainly an appreciated acquisition in Houston as well. Hmm. And he's he's a speedy guy, still is, you know, has that range as far as being able to, to play in the outfield. But Maven, of course, as we know, is not a pitcher. So to no. me, like, number one concern is that obvious lefty reliever. Everything else to me, is very low priority, relatively speaking. What do you think about Maven? And here's the other thing that we sometimes forget about, I think, Speaks. I catch myself forgetting it. You need a guy like Maven or, say, Dyson in these extra inning potential situations with the man on second. You bet. You bet. Give me, give me that pinch runner out there. Well, well the Cubs, they need uh, somebody who can hit lefties. And it's not like Maven is a guy who destroys lefties or anything like that. But he is he is red-handed. But, you know, Chris Bryant had, what, five at-bats in simulation mode uh, in South Bend yesterday. I don't know how Steven Souza Jr.'s health is progressing. But without those two guys... They just can't hit lefties to save their life right now. And so they need to find somebody like that in addition. I had seen someone throw Daniel Norris's name into the mix as a lefty bullpen piece to come from Detroit along with Mabin, if you could work it out. And I, that's fascinating to me just because I want to get to know Daniel Norris as well. because <laughs> he's a very sure. weird and, and, and interesting guy. And also he's... He's doing well in the bullpen as a 27-year-old after a long and unique road as a starting pitcher prospect that ultimately did not work out. But they might see him as somebody they could fix a little bit with a pitch lab. He's got another year of arbitration left, does Daniel Norris at age 27. But we'll, we'll but do see. Do you what, think that 
do you think the pitch lab is enough like time there because we're running out of time no, not not for this year. I was thinking like if you grabbed Daniel Norris as part of this deal and put him in your bullpen as a lefty, I was imagining an off season and a spring training in a pitch lab where all of a sudden you're giving Daniel Norris to replace a John Lester in your rotation next year or replace a Tyler Chatwood in your rotation next year. But, you know, I'm way, way ahead of myself on this one, which is often how I roll. It's 670 to score. It's inside the clubhouse. She's Layla Rahimi in for Bruce Levine this week. We'll come back and talk to Richard Justice of MLB.com about the trade deadline and more, including the Astros and the A's of all teams showing unity last night. Boog Shambi from ESPN is later on in the show at about 1040 right here on 670 to score. Welcome back in on 670 The Score. It is inside the clubhouse right here. Bruce Levine is off today. Layla Rahimi is in for Bruce. I am Matt Spiegel. I'll be with you tomorrow morning as well on Hit and Run at 9 o'clock. But uh, right now, we have another guest on Inside the Clubhouse. Our next guest joins us on the Alpamonte Ford hotline. Alpamonte Ford is in Melrose Park. That's right. We go north of Houston and bring in Richard Justice. Richard, I appreciate you coming on the show. You have been a longtime supporter of the White Sox, even talking about last year that was a good landing spot for Manny Machado. And that's where we want to start just a couple of days before the trade deadline. Do you think that the Sox, given the past week that they've had one of the most outstanding ones in a long time, make any more moves at this trade deadline? Well, yeah, I do. And I think they've already, you know, making a trade, Leela, is at this time of year, you're looking to upgrade your club. But as you know from your time in Houston, you're also looking to send a message to the clubhouse to like, hey, we believe in you guys. Um, A couple of years ago, the Blue Jays were in Houston at the trade deadline. The Blue Jays got like three or four guys at the trade deadline day. Not, not Not big names. Uh, but it made the club better. The Astros got nobody, and you could see it. And Dallas Keuchel said it that day, like, this is ridiculous. They, in the other clubhouse, they're all abuzz. The front office has said, we believe in you, and our side, you know, did nothing for us. Uh, maybe they don't believe in us. So when I look at a team like the White Sox, who are in position to win regardless of making another move, you do want to do everything you can to let everybody, let the fans know, let the players know, hey, we're all in it. And Richard, you bring up Dallas Keuchel and him being vocal. We did see that in Houston, and we're now seeing yep. it also in Chicago. How do you describe the leadership that he can bring to a team when he does speak what he speaks and then you see a payoff? You know, he speaks vocally in a quiet way. and But I think he saw it. A lot of it is lead by example. He's a, he's a preparation freak. When the, the Astros came of age, he was one of the guys – that and this was true of Springer and Altuve and others that just they sort of all grew together and I think there was a code of an unspoken code of conduct about the way you conduct yourself we have fun we show emotion and all of that and just to help any way you can if you have something if you you know if you see something that can help us you say something and, and, and that's what he did and I, I just and also but I think lead by example is the is the the biggest biggest thing that you do day in and day out you know i i covered bagwell and bisho two hall of famers for years in houston they didn't say all that much 
but there was a there was a standard there. There was a bar for how you prepared yourself and how you played and how you competed. And uh, I've heard players talk about that Jeff Bagwell glare. You didn't want that. <laughs> hey, Richard, I've been on a journey of sorts with Jose Altuve over these yep. this past decade. We're like. I, I loved him so much um, for a long time, enjoyed him as a player, enjoyed his spirit and so many great stories about him. And then, you know, the cheating scandal comes down and, and you, you wonder, is he wearing a buzzer up there and all of this? And then uh, Carlos Correa and others say, you know, Altuve wasn't a guy doing that. And Peter Gammon said that as well. And I had sort of chalked it up for myself that, OK, maybe Altuve was not one of the guys taking advantage of all that. Well, here we are now in a, a theoretical non-trash non, uh, can banging universe, and Altuve's got an OPS under 600. What am I, so, what am I to make of this? Because the easy thought is that now without the benefit of the sign stealing, he has fallen apart. Why has Jose Altuve fallen apart this year? Yeah, and you know, Matt, whether your, your narrative or your theory, whether it's right or wrong, the Astros opened themselves up yes. to this. And this is why I think they may be the most aggressive team at the trade deadline, even though their farm system is not any good anymore because of the, the Grinky trade, the Verlander trade, all the trades they've made through the years. They're desperate to win again because the only way you can begin to put this stain behind you is to win again. I, I wasn't in spring training for the, the press conference for you know when they handle it just terribly. But I got there at the end. And I know those guys, and they were beaten down physically. They were beaten down emotionally. You know, guys, you know, we talk about mental toughness with athletes, but how do you play when you've been – the question I would get all the time in Houston, are, are they really like that? Do they really like each other that much? Uh, and to have to go from that attitude to everybody in the sport rooting against you. And when I saw them, the season was still on – and their first road trip was going to be to Oakland and to Anaheim. And you can imagine what that was going to be like. Already in spring training, they, they were every time they stuck their head out from the dugout, every somebody or some lots of bodies were yelling, you suck. That's a tough way to play. And that's, look, I don't know why he's off to this start. He, he's, he, I don't think his skills have declined. I can see he's expanding the strike zone. And as you get into a slump, you get a little bit more desperate and a little bit more desperate. But I think as an organization and as a club, and why they'll probably make a bad trade because they're desperate to show that what we knew, knew know, now know happened in 2017 uh, didn't happen. And look, I saw somebody wrote this was an open secret. Um, everything that came out, um, I had heard from the Oakland A's. In fact, I saw an A's player some time ago, and he just walked past me and said, uh, I told you so. And I said, wait, wait, come back, come back. And he, that was it. I mean, the banging of the trash cans, the calling of the names and all of that. I had joked with Bob Melvin, why don't you guys bang trash cans? But it was not a laughing matter to those guys. No, I think absolutely not. But to see all that unfold the way it has this season has added an extra layer of intrigue to it, that's for sure. Going back to the trade deadline, Richard, when we talk about the White Sox, we also want to discuss what you think the Cubs might do. Cubs are a little bit hamstrung as far as what they can do with that prospect capital, similar to the Astros in that situation. Do you see them adding anyone at this deadline? Yeah, I see both those teams trying to add someone. 
Um, you know, when you look at the Cubs are in kind of a – the Cubs could use – you know, there's been some underperformers like Souza on offense. You think at this time, for when you look at the club, you go, give me a bullpen arm, give me a rotation arm, uh, because of you know, Tyler Chadwood has, has, has issues. Um, so I do think they're both going to do something. Uh, the question is, you know, do you take a thirty thousand viewpoint, a thirty thousand foot approach to it? But I think if you're just talking about your desperation meter, I think the the White Sox want to make a trade. They want to send a message. I think the Cubs feel they're really their their urgency is higher because their window is closing. And they would like to win one more. Same thing in Houston. The, their window is closing rapidly, and they would like to see if they could win one more. And when you throw that into the mix, um, that makes that's volatile. You know, they, we know Kansas City's going to sell. Kansas City's got three relievers. We know Texas is going to sell. The Giants are the most interesting team. You know, are they going to trade Cueto? Because if you look at the standings, you go, well, they should. They're not in it. But you think about eight teams making it in the, in the National League. Well, who knows? They're they're having a bad they're having a bad stretch here. Maybe at a time when it just sends a message. The hardest thing a club can do is to scout itself. And that was always the genius of Billy Bean. If he, it matter where his team was in first or last, he would look at the team and go, "We're not good enough to get where we're going to go. I'm going to blow it up, or I'm going to put all my cards on the table and go for it this year." It's one of the most fun things about the trade deadline. It's just awkward when it comes 30 days into a season <laughs> like like yep. this one. Uh, Richard, it, you mentioned the A's and the Astros, and that's some fascinating backstory right there that you offered about the A's knowing what was going on uh, before it all came out. Um, it, it makes it kind of particularly striking that those were the two teams last night um, who showed the unity and decided not to play as this cascading effect continues around Major League Baseball, A's and Astros. What did you make of them being the latest to not play last night, putting a Black Lives Matter T-shirt down between their two jerseys on the field? And those two teams specifically makes it uh, even more compelling to me. Yeah, it did. And, well, you have to understand, Dusty Baker is now the Astros manager. There is no more beloved person in baseball. He's very close to the A's manager, Bob Melvin. And... Uh, the A's have a black player named Tony Kemp who is came up with Dallas Keuchel and those guys uh, together, and it has a big voice. And there were discussions going back and forth. It was almost, you know, you can't not do something. The A's were very proactive, and we're not going to play Thursday. It, they might not have played Wednesday, but it happened so late. But they were not going to play Thursday. And I think the Astros just felt they had to make a statement. If you get a chance, the Astros Radio play-by-play man, his name, Robert Ford. If you get a chance to hear his call of what happened on the field, it will move you to tears. Robert is an African-American, and um, he just, you know, said, you know, there are times I know you want me to stick to sports. There are times I can't do it. Yeah, that is just really compelling stuff, and I've seen that passed around on social media quite a bit, Richard, and it certainly seems oh, okay. like something everybody should listen to. Uh, it's definitely on my list, and I appreciate you bringing that up, because Robert does do a great job, and he's had to handle some interesting situations, to say the least, this past two seasons. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that is true. You know, I, I've been covering different teams this week, because with we're doing it via Zoom. You can cover any team. 
And I'll tell you what, um, the discussions that are going on inside those rooms, uh, the, the Red Sox manager on Thursday, Ron Renicki, um, basically choked back tears through his entire news conference. And last night I was doing the Nationals. And before the game, Davey Martinez was talking about the various conversations he had spoken to the team. But he finished it. You know, we got into him like, uh, what, why did you change the batting order? Who do you, Are you going to put Sean Doolittle into a leverage situation? All that stuff. And when it was over, Davey's voice cracked, and he said, I just want you to know, I'm, I'm after everything that's gone on and the problems that we all see in this country, I I'm so happy that you're asking me. You're asking. You're second guessing me about my closer already, and it just uh, it, it spoke to what a an emotionally draining week it had been. And the I the thought and, and Trey Turner and Josh Harrison after the game said this on Jack to get back on the field on Jackie Robinson Day and do this thing we love after a week like this where you your heart has been torn in so many different direct pulled in so many different directions. Um, it was good to play baseball. Hey, Richard, great stuff. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it here on Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score. Yeah, thank, thank you, you so for having me, guys. You got it. It's Richard Justice of MLB.com. Said uh, um, Dusty Baker last night after the A's and, and, and Astros decided not to play, quote, I'm proud of this generation because in the 60s it was mostly African-Americans and a few white Americans that stood up. But in this day and age, I'm seeing young people of all nationalities and all religions that are standing up together. I'm very, very proud of the young people in this country. That's that's pretty cool from Dusty Baker. we got to take a break. We'll come back on Inside the Clubhouse for one final segment with Boog Shambi, who muscled his way onto the radio show. And we are glad about that. He joins us next on 670 The Score. You're listening to 670 The Score. It's inside the clubhouse. Bruce Levine is off today. I am Matt Spiegel. Layla Rahimi is in for Bruce. And our next guest joins us on the Alpamani Ford hotline. Alpamani Ford is in Melrose Park. Booking guests is easy, Layla. I don't know. Like people, producers or hosts or otherwise, are like, man, it's so hard to find people. I don't have a phone number. Just tweet that you're going to be on a show and then wait for the offers to pour in. And, uh, and this that, was... Yeah, that's it's awesome. Boog Shambi just joins the chat. That's right. Going down the tunnel, WWE style. That's Boog Shambi's music. Believe it. I just bullied my way onto the program. (laughs) That's all. I'm here. How are you guys? We're good. We're we're good, Boog. So so what's your history with Layla? Like, um, you guys know each other. You're friendly in the baseball media sense, apparently. That's good. From the, from the baseball media world. Absolutely right. That's right. Um, Cubs and, and White Sox. So that's uh, – and then, you know, you and I – I think you and I met through Len uh, Casper, the voice of the, the voice of the Cubs. So, so there you go. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You, you and I met that night um, when the Cubs – and the uh, Red Sox players were both in attendance when Eddie Vedder was playing at the Paradise there in Boston because you were doing the game, I think. That's Bill. right. Yeah, so. that is correct. Yeah, that pretty, is correct. Hey, is there, a t- is there a team you'd rather watch than the White Sox right now in terms of just the, a lineup doing its thing? Man, they're entertaining. They, they got some big, strong dudes, and they're scoring. And it, it's funny because – the, the White Sox and the Padres are two of the top scoring teams 
in the league and they have so many good young talented players and uh yeah they they're they're compelling there's no question about it hopefully we'll get a chance to to watch them on tv on espn a little bit more yeah, in fact, I know you're working a Padres game coming up over the weekend. Well, Monday, technically. So, yep. of course, the comparisons with Fernando Tatis and, and the fact that he was a White Sox prospect being traded yeah. come to mind, especially when you saw him hit those home runs that made the news recently. Padres Rockies, I know, are on TV on Monday night. But yep. when you think about the Padres and their improved offense and their home run total, which is just behind the Sox and then the White Sox and how those teams have both improved, what is your impression of both? And can you compare the two teams in a way, given the arc that they've both had? Yeah, so I, th- I mean, I, it, it's exciting. I think that, you know, you're, to me, the, the thing that spices the league up is when you have teams that have been – you know, non-impact teams in playoff races for quite some time making a presence felt. And so, you know, to get that in there, to have two teams that we haven't seen, that is fun. Um, as far as comparing the two teams, um, I, I definitely would give the edge to the White Sox. You know, look, the Padres do not have a pitcher they're throwing out there, the caliber of Giolito. I think that the other thing that probably doesn't get talked about enough is, you know, you think about when the Cubs won the World Series and, and really that the three-year, kind of the 15, 16, 17 teams, but, I mean, the 16 team had an historically great defense. Their ability to take balls in play and turn them into outs was incredible. And I'm sure that it's not the sexy thing and a fun thing to talk about, right now because they're scoring and hitting the ball over the fence. But if you look at where the White Sox are right now, they lead the majors in defensive runs saved. They played excellent defense so far this year. And guess what? So the Padres played pretty good defense. So they're they're fun teams. They they're, you know, super athletic, strong players. Um yeah, they're they're there's a lot of there's a lot of talent on, on both these teams. I do think the White Sox are probably a slightly better team. Man, it's 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 crazy and fun to have uh, to have the White Sox in conversations uh, like that. Um, hey, Boog, I want to ask you something about that. That's a Cubs problem right now, and it's one of those weird baseball Cub problems. They lead the majors in pitchers per plate appearance, and this is long what Theo and Jed have espoused: grind at bats, you know, make other guys work, and that. And yet the offense is struggling right now, and sometimes people real close to the team are watching every day are saying, boy, they ought to swing more. They ought to get a little bit more aggressive. And, you know, if you see a pitch to hit, hit it. How are you supposed to balance that as a player, as a team, as a manager, this idea that have grinding at bats and hand it off to the next guy, but, oh, by the way, don't be afraid to be aggressive. That seems really weird to try and do. Yeah, I I still think there's value to it. I still think that, look, if you grind out at bats and you lead the league in pitches for plate appearance and you're able to chase a starter in the third or the fourth, you're probably in the third or the fourth not going to see the other team's elite relievers yet. Now, I will say that if you think back to when, you know, Theo and Jed, those teams with the Red Sox in the mid-2000s where they would grind out at bats, you know, what would happen is 
that, you know, the Yankees and the Red Sox would lead everybody in pitches per plate appearance. They knock out the starter in the fifth, and then some turd comes in throwing 88 miles an hour, and then they would just <laughs> bludgeon that bullpen. Well, now, you know, bullpens are weaponized. Yes, I said turd. Uh, and <laughs> the bullpens are weaponized. And so you have these, you know, so now it's five innings, and you're bringing in a guy in the fifth or the sixth who's throwing a bazillion. So you're, you're not as, your reward isn't as significant for grinding out at bats. I still would say this. I don't think the issue is be more aggressive. I think that the, and again, I still, I don't think that there's much the Cubs can do about it. I think they are who they are. I think that the Cubs bigger issue is offensively. If we're talking, I think you are who you are. I don't think you're going to shift it a lot. I think the Cubs biggest problem is when you look at what the elite offenses do. And I do think, by the way, that I think that the White Sox will probably regress because I think this is a problem for them as well. What do the elite offenses do? And elite offenses, like in baseball 2020, strikeouts are available, right? There's so many strikeouts and there's so many home runs. So what do the really good offenses do? They slug with contact. So last year in the World Series, for as much as you want to talk about pitching, you had two teams in the Nationals and the Astros that slugged with contact and low chase. The Dodgers slug with contact and low chase. The good offenses slug with contact. The really good offenses slug with contact and low chase. And when the Cubs are right, they slug, but not with contact and with a lot of chase. And right now they're not even slugging. The Cubs are kind of like they're they're kind of like Adam Dunn without the homers. You know what I mean? Like it when, when it's bad. Um, and I love that I'm done, by the way. But so there's slug, there, there's there's lack of contact and walks without uh, without home runs when it's bad, when it's bad. Um, and so I, I know that I've just delivered a really nice, long-winded gas bag answer, which I'm very capable of doing. Um, but the, the, look, for the Cubs, there are flaws to this offense that I don't know how fixable they are. They're going to swing and miss a decent amount, and that's a problem. Uh, that was an awesome answer. And I have to say, we've got to kick a shout out to your shoes because you said last week your 12 color shoes were not appreciated. So you've got the Phillies. Thank you. Yes. And Arietta is supposed to pitch for another Cubs tie in. So are people going to see the shoes? Are we trying to bring awareness to them right now quickly? I am. uh, I'm going to break out some shoes. So tomorrow night I'm doing radio. I'll be doing it from Bristol. And then Monday I'll be TV from Bristol and I'll, I'll, I'll rock some shoes. I do have, I'm, I'm like, I'm like old guy holding on to his youth with some form of shoe game. That's what I, that's what I would say. I, just, I, I wanted to, I wanted to give you that credit because you gave us credit and in the world of equal credit to be redundant, I feel like that. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, like I, I, as, as we get older, our, our fashion expression moves lower on the oh. body. I think it's just, <laughs> so, that's, well played, Maddie. That's a hundred percent right. That's yeah. right. That's why it's why I wear glasses so people won't look at my double chin. And then all of a sudden <laughs> I wear funky colored shoes and I go right from the glasses to my shoes and like nobody's looking at my abs, you know? Yeah. Right. It's like it's like a it's a full body version of the mullet, you know, like business on the That's top right. and party at the That's bottom right. or something like That's that. Right. Hey, hey, Boog, yeah. last, th- last thing for you. Um, I find myself um, it, it surprisingly enjoying the extra inning 
Runner at second rule in total. Um, and I don't think that I would miss 17-18 in inning games. And I saw somebody called it like half-court baseball. I think that was Morgan Ensberg, the now minor league Oh, that's good. Um, right? It's kind of fun. I, I, I dig it. I, I'm surprised at how much I dig it. Where are you on it? Right Didn't now. think I would. I'm in the same category. I've been advocating ties after 12 for a long time. I still think that would be fine. But this is compelling because it's like you go to the 10th and all of a sudden you realize that there's a guy on second. And uh, I actually, by the way, you guys, I, I, no one sent me any type of an award, but I did. I think I made, I made history because uh, I got a chance to call the first leadoff two-run homer in the history of the sport. Right, No one had ever called a leadoff two-run homer. But in the 10th of a Dodger-Astro game, I got to call it, and uh, it was delightful. Um, I, yeah, I like it. It's just different. And, and it, I, I thought it would be a little hokey, and the nerd in me doesn't love that like the runner magically appears and that in some form guys are – like I don't love that you know a guy is getting credit for – you know. Or, or being detracted on a, you know, a statistic that they didn't totally have stuff to do with, um, and that 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 kind of bothers my logical brain. But it's entertaining. I'm I, I'm and I'm surprised. I like it. If they keep it, I'm fine with it. How about that? Amazing. All right, Boog, you're the best. Thanks so much for the time, man. Have uh, great calls this weekend, and um, and thank you for the bullying. It was it was enjoyable. Yeah. Thanks for having me, you guys. See you later the best is Boog Shambi. Um, right, let's thank our guests today. John Boog Shambi, Richard Justice, Jim Deshays, and Layla Rahimi. This was a pleasure. Thanks so much for sitting in. It was. Yeah. The last time we did this, I think we went off on a tangent about band and orchestra. So at least we stayed on message this time. <laughs> well, you know, if we had one more hour, nothing but band and orchestra stuff. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, I'll be in tomorrow for Hit and Run at 9 a.m. And uh, coming up now... It'll be Steve Rosenblum and Mark Grody from 11 to 2. Evan Altman from Cubs Insider and Josh Nelson from Sox Machine will join them. Cubs pregame starts at 2.10 right here on 670. The score, thank you to Jordan Malley, our producer, not Tyler Malley, or John Maley, but Jordan Malley. Thank you so much for you uh, and your fine work, Jordan. Thanks again, Layla. And have a great day, everybody. It's Matt Spiegel. This is Inside the Clubhouse. I'll talk to you tomorrow on Hit and Run. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.